Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. Welcome to our Sunday morning worship celebration where we love celebrating Jesus just like people in this church have for the last 115 years, and we pray that we continue to do until Christ returns. Yeah, in my head I heard people saying amen and clapping and all that stuff, but uh, my name is Pastor Floyd Hughes. Uh, It's been my honor and privilege to pastor this church for the last 10 years. And in doing so, I've had the opportunity, some of you I don't know, some of you I've had the opportunity to meet, some of you I've had the opportunity to visit and spend time with you in your homes. And one, uh, I forget what day of the week, I think it was a Friday morning while we were visiting Sally Graham uh, and Gary Sloniker, who was with me, they were going through names and names and names. It was about an hour. Them going through names of people uh, that have attended Beulah Baptist Church, uh, only one name of which... I was familiar with, uh, so we decided, you know what, let's have a family reunion of sorts, and just to bring people together, to worship God together, and uh, we were hoping that there would be a, a good turnout, that many of the people that used to attend this congregation or used to live in this community would uh, come back to just worship God together. Uh, so if everything goes great this morning, we give God the glory, amen? amen. If it doesn't, we blame Gary, Amen. So, uh, for those of you who are not familiar uh, with Crossroads Community Church, what we like to do is start our Sunday celebrations by just worshiping and praising God in song. So, I'm going to ask you guys to stand with us, and we're just going to jump into a time of praising God through song. Good morning. morning. The first church seal for Beulah reads chartered in 1902. However, the history of Beulah Baptist Church began long before that with the vision of two Scottish missionaries in a local area known as the Patch in large Pennsylvania. If you're not from around here and you're not quite old enough and you don't know that's what it's called, but that's what it's called, the Patch. And it's right behind where a large hotel used to be and Roosevelt School, which I'm an alma mater, that used to be. Um, Over the last 115 years, Beulah has had many families come and go, many pastors come and go, and many ministries start and end. But the vision has always been the same, to share and to show the love of Jesus Christ to people in this community and to invite them to be recipients of that same love. This morning, we celebrate 115 years of keeping that vision alive, and we thank all of you who have participated in keeping that vision alive. I've only been a member here for seven or eight years. I've lived here um, most of my life, and um, very much enjoy coming and um, worshiping here and being with God here in this church. Um, I've learned a great deal, as I hope everyone has, and, and when I sing, 
here with all of my partners here, it's very much a worshiping experience and a very personal experience. So I hope all of you um, experience that as well. So today we can look at any number of small businesses um, that have become big industries and each and every one started with a vision. How many of you are familiar with Apple computers? Three, four, five, six, oh, oh the happy ones over here, yeah. Yeah, so if you have an, an, an iPad or an iPhone or even a Mac computer, then you're familiar with them and you're probably happy with it. Uh, if you have a Droid, you probably just hate on Apple. Looking at you, okay. But um, they started with just a one or, I think, two people, uh, and they started this small computer business that failed more times than you can count before it became the multi-billion dollar industry it is today because they stayed true to the vision that they had. And many of you, if you're you know, from Pittsburgh, you're probably familiar with uh, Heinz Inc., now called Kraft Heinz Inc., um, which uh, started in, I think it was like 1869. Anyone remember what they started with? Horseradish, there you go. I assumed it was ketchup, I had to Google it. Uh, and I didn't ask anyone to remember like we were there. That's not what I meant to insinuate. Uh, but because they're a part of the Pittsburgh culture, many people, you know, remember that they started small. They weren't the like multi-million dollar corporation they are today. Uh, and all of these uh, individuals started these businesses because they had a vision for where they wanted to go and what they wanted to do. And the same is true of God. Before the foundations of the earth were laid, God had a vision for what he wanted to do and what he wanted the church to be. And his vision uh, was that all humanity would be together with him for all eternity, plain and simple. Uh, everything that we read about and everything that we talk about and everything that is encapsulated within the word of God either points to or tells the story of or celebrates that vision, single-minded vision from God all humanity together with him for all of eternity. Now, that vision started from God with just two people. It started with Adam and Eve. Uh, they gave birth to humanity because God wanted uh, the people of earth to have a picture of what it would be like to spend eternity with him. So he created the family unit. But as many of us know, as you get further down the family line, you may be close with siblings or parents, but then when you get to second, third, fourth, fifth cousins, uh, you're not quite so close. You don't stay in as close of contact. Uh, so when that vision for all humanity being together with him wasn't fulfilled through the family unit, then God called Abraham and Sarah to create a nation so that where the family unit wouldn't suffice and we didn't have family unity because we're not living next to each other and connected to one another, we would have a national unity, that we would all be one nation, the nation of, of God, all the people of God together. And if you look at Israel now, even though many of them are um, spread all over the world, uh, there's a strong tie between the people of Israel. But then, as with any nation, you know, things go wrong, things happen, and... Uh, if you look through the Old Testament, the people of Israel cried out and said, we, we, yeah, we want to be a part of your family, God, but we want a king. We want to be like everybody else. We want a king over us. So God said, I'm not just going to give you a king. I'm going to give you the king of kings. And he's not just going to rule and reign over you, that he is going to shed his blood for you. 
And there will come a point where, you know, Jesus Christ will physically sit on a physical throne and reign over humanity. But for everyone who puts their faith and trust in him, there is a spiritual point where he rules and reigns in our hearts. And where we become a part of God's kingdom uh, together. And we're all connected. And all of it stems back to God's initial vision that he wanted all of humanity together with him for all of eternity. Now, for this community, it started with the two mission workers. Uh, granted, the seal says that 1902, but they started way before that because they wanted to see God's vision fulfilled for this community. And they wanted to see the same thing that we at Crossroads want to see. We want to share the love of Christ. That's why they started that mission work, so that they could go out and tell people in this community that there is a God who loves you, he cares for you, and he gave his life for you. And not just share the love, but to show people, to go out, to physically put, as the term goes, boots on the ground. Microphone? Okay. Can you guys still hear me? Okay. All right. So uh, also to show the love of Christ to people, to physically go out and, and minister to people, and to, as you share the love of Christ, and as you show the love of Christ, to invite people to be recipients of Christ's love. Because no matter where you go, no matter what denomination church you go to, no matter uh, what community you go to that church in, if there are God-honoring, spirit-filled, Bible-believing people of God, that is the mission to be the church, to share the love of Christ, show the love of Christ, invite people to be recipients of Christ's love. Doesn't matter what language it's done in, doesn't matter what community it's done in, doesn't matter what race of people are doing it. That's what the church is supposed to do. And that's what the people that started Beulah wanted to see happen in this community because there is absolutely, positively, nothing more important than that. Nothing more important than letting people know that Jesus loves them that he died for them, and that he shed his blood for them. So we're going to sing another song. And again, you guys can, you know, stand, sit, whatever, whatever you feel comfortable doing. I'm just going to ask you to lift your voices, though, and to sing. have called Beulah Baptist their home over the last 115 years. Names like McGrew, Greenwald, Lewis, Alderson, and Graham, among many others, go back to the earliest years of records on Beulah Baptist Church. Every family that has been a part of Beulah Baptist has contributed to the success of Beulah and its mission to share and show the love of Christ. These families gave their time, their talent, and their treasure to support the ministry of Beulah Baptist. Their generosity had such an impact on the surrounding communities that individuals and businesses contributed regularly to ministries and outreach events. This building, property, and most of the material for the electrical and heating systems and other material used to expand the structure to its current size were donated as a result of the extreme generosity of the members of Beulah and the people in their circles of influence a trait which still marks the members of Crossroads to this day. 
over a little over a year ago, I found Crossroads, Crossroads Community um, online looking for a church home that I would feel comfortable and be able to sing. And I am so completely blessed to be here, and I'm so glad to see everybody out there today. Um, I just thank, thank this church for welcoming me and for being here and just being an awesome place to be every Sunday morning. ask you guys to excuse all of our technical difficulties this morning. Uh, but I want to share a passage of scripture with you because when I first came here, it was uh, not as pastor. I was visiting uh, with someone else who was coming to speak here, a man named Damian Williams. And uh, when I left, I was like, Beulah, that name didn't sound familiar to me. And I don't remember if it was Gary or someone else that kind of shared uh, what it meant or, or how the church came up with the name. But I, I, let me share this. Uh, that Sunday morning when we came here, we were, of course, late. Uh, but when we came here, it was myself, my daughter, and, and uh, man Damian Williams, and uh, Jay Fields was here. He was pastor at the time. And they were waiting. I mean, we were really late. Like, they started at, like, 1030, and it was, like, 1045 before we even showed up. So when we walked in, uh, you know, Jay was not up here. He was standing back there, and he was like, oh, here they are. He said, all right, everyone just, you know, go around, greet someone, say hello, and we're, we'll, you know, be ready to start in, like, five minutes. And uh, I can remember the very first person that came up to me was Margaret Miller. Who, how many of you guys remember Margaret Miller? Yeah, she got up out of her seat because everyone kind of turned to the people that they knew and said good morning. Uh, she got up out of her seat, made a beeline right for me, said thank you so much for coming to visit Beulah Baptist Church this morning. And my very first thought, my very first impression was, wow, these are some awesome people. But let me share this passage of scripture with you. Um, in the book of Isaiah, this is what... Isaiah writes, and normally I would ask you guys to pull out a Bible. There's one around you. Don't. Uh, we put all of the words up here at the screen. Uh, normally when, you know, on Sunday morning, we're biblically based, so I ask everyone, I want you to read along with me so you can see I'm not making this stuff up. Uh, but just follow along up here this morning for the sake of time. This is what Isaiah writes. He says, for Zion's sake uh, will I, Isaiah, and this is the amplified version, not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her imputed righteousness vindication go forth as brightness and her salvation radiates as does a burning torch and we read stuff like that and that's why a lot of people just don't read their bibles because there's stuff in like this that they don't understand but isaiah was writing about the nation of israel which had been decimated it had been destroyed this beautiful wonderful land the most powerful nation on the planet at that time of every nation on the planet was just destroyed and he was writing saying, hey, it's not always going to be that way. And he continued and said, and the nations shall see your righteousness and vindication, your rightness and justice, not your own, but his ascribed to you, meaning God's, and all kings shall behold your salvation and glory, and you shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. He was trying to tell them it's not always going to be this bad. And then he goes on and he says this, you shall also be so beautiful and prosperous as to be thought of as a crown of glory and honor in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem or exceedingly beautiful in the hand of your God. He was saying right now, uh, things are just, they can't get any worse. But there's going to come a time when God is going to look at you and think of you as the most beautiful thing ever. And this is where he goes on and he says, you, Judah, which is Jerusalem, shall no more be termed forsaken because their land had been forsaken and they thought God had forsaken them. Nor shall your land be called desolate anymore, but you shall be called Hephzibah. My delight is in her. Now, 
Pepsodent means my delight is in her. And if you look in the top 100 baby girl names on the list, Hepzibah does not make, I apologize, is anyone's daughter named Hepzibah? I'm so sorry, forgive me, I didn't think about that, but it, it's not the name that we would think of, even though it means my delight is in her, and he goes on and he says, and your land be called Beulah, which means married, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married, owned and protected by the Lord, and he was saying that there's going to come a time when even now the land is desolate, but when this land that you're in, everyone's going to look at it and say, wow, God's presence is there. God is always there. God provides for the people there. You guys are never in lack for anything because like a husband, God is married to you. And the two mission workers that, that started what later became Beulah Baptist Church, that was their vision. That people would look in this community and not look at what's going on inside of a building, but look at what's going on in the lives of the people that left the building and be able to say, wow, it looks like God is protecting you. God's hand is on you. God is always providing for you. And as Heather just shared, even in this building, I was looking through the records and uh, just seeing all the, the, the things that were provided for to not just build what this was the original part of the building, but the extension, like the, the people that provided for the electrical and the labor and the uh, people that provided for you know, the windows, the physical windows and the money for the labor to put in the windows, all these things that, that just, it seemed like God was just hand over foot, just giving things to Beulah. And, and you know, as a, that continued, even after we got here, the, you know, projectors and all the lights that we came in, no one's tithe money was used to give that. An organization called Steel City Church, who we partnered with, donated the money, even the stage, which is not finished apologize for that. <laughs> it's coming, the carpet. But even the stage uh, was provided for. Not, not a penny was spent of anyone's money to put that in. An organization that we were trying to minister and be of help to them uh, turned around and said, we'll be of help to you. And they came in and put in the stage. All we gave was, I think, Larry, Gary, and myself added some extra hands to put it in. But all of that was done by them. And that, I, I keep thinking about all the stuff that was given. Now, I know uh, this booklet is on the back table, but if you look in this booklet, I think it was November 1961 when they had a celebration of the extension of the building finally being done, you'll see the names of businesses that, that donated. And normally, especially today, businesses don't donate funds to help do a church. If they're a part of the church they, and, and they're the business owner, they may donate funds, but Normally, it's the individuals that donate. And even uh, today, you don't see a lot of families that donate money to do, you know, building projects and all that stuff in their church uh, unless it's, you know, a huge expansion project or a mega church. But I was just blown away by that extreme generosity. And so uh, at Crossroads, we hope and try to continue that level of extreme generosity. It's one of what we call our core values where, uh, you know, we believe in authentic community being real with one another, being okay to go up to people in your church family and say, hey, I'm not doing so well. Would you pray for me? Or one of the things that we're always hesitant to do, would you pray with me? Because I'm not doing that great. But the community part is where someone, instead of just walking by and saying, you know, how are you doing today, Gary? How are you doing, you know, Sharon? And then keeping on my way, waiting to hear an answer and being there for 
one another because that's what the church is supposed to do, an extreme generosity, giving not just our time, but our time, our talents, our treasure. Uh, no matter, for every dollar you give, you can probably go out and make another one. But when you give your time, you can't get that back. That's precious. So when people give their time and volunteer, it means a lot. It means they value you, they care about you, they think of you enough that where they're going to donate their time, something they can't recreate no matter how hard they try. And passionate spirituality, something that, not trying to down the church, but seems to be lost in a lot of churches today. Acknowledging that, yeah, this God we worship, he is a spirit, and the Bible tells us those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So spending that time in prayer, acknowledging that, yeah, when we pray for people to be healed, we expect them to be healed. When we ask God to intervene, we pray and hope that God will intervene. Acknowledging that there's, you know, something different about the church. Not that we're better than everyone else in the world, but we are definitely different than everyone else in the world because we have a God who reigns and rules over all of humanity. And even though a lot of people reject him, we acknowledge that he's still worthy to be praised. So we do believe uh, that God's presence is here. We do believe his people can make a difference. We do believe that the vision that the two mission workers and the vision that many of you who are part of Beulah helped to create is still worth fighting for. To share and to show the love of Christ to all of the people in and around this community. Now, we're going to take up an offering in a minute, but let me say this. Um, we do believe in, in tithing here, but I say if any of you are just visiting your guests, do not feel obligated to give. We don't just say that this Sunday, we say that every single Sunday. Let this be our gift to you, this time of celebrating and worshiping, worshiping God together. But for those of you who call Crossroads um, your church home, we ask that you please be faithful in your giving. So I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. God, we thank you so much for uh, just your hand of generosity that has been on this community, that has been on this church, that has been on this congregation. And we pray that everything we do would be faithful to upholding your vision, all humanity, with you for all of eternity. We thank you for every person who has donated even one second of their time to that cause. We thank you for every person in the future who will continue to do so. We thank you for every dime and penny that has been donated. But we know first and foremost that everything that we have received all comes from you. And so we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. While they're taking up the offering, uh, let me share just one brief thing with you. I was also looking through the history, and someone shared a story uh, with me. This was a while back when I first got here about uh, why there were so few people in, in attendance. And they said that, you know, the, there was, it seemed to be a click. I don't know if that's the right word. To where there were only certain names and families that attended. And I said, yeah, that's the way it's supposed to work. Because if I come in here and I say, hey, this is a great place, then I should go tell my neighbors 
who lived next to me, hey, you got to come check out this church, Beulah. It's awesome. And hopefully I'm going to bring my family. And the way that God created and set up the church is so that there should be in every community a God-honoring, Bible-based, spirit-filled church serving the people of that community. And if you go to another community, there should be a church there. In another community, there should be a church there. So when I walk in this door, I hope to see people in and around the community and if I go to a church in West Mifflin, hopefully I'm seeing people in and around that community. And if I go to a church in Bell Vernon, hopefully I'm seeing people in and around that community. That's the way that God designed it. So that we would go and tell other people, we believe we have found a place where God's presence is felt. We're going to sing another song. And again, don't feel obligated to stand. Uh, I just ask that you just lift your voices. Uh, and join us in just singing. Uh, I'm going to ask Rachel Sloniker to come up and... Uh, she has a reading that she is going to do. Hi, everybody. Good to be back. All right. I'm glad I could be here today. Thank you for saying hi to all of us. All right. So I have the privilege of speaking about the pastors that have come through this church. And I'll stick to the script uh, for now. Over the past 115 years, only 18 different pastors have served at Beulah Baptist Church. Although they came from different areas of the community, city, county, and state, and some from out of state, they have all had this in common. They are all willing to serve God, this congregation, and our community. Some led Beulah through joyous and prosperous times in our congregation and our community. Others led Beulah through hard and difficult times in our community and in our nation. We are all grateful for God's provision in all of the pastors that he had provided to lead this congregation. And I get a little excerpt here where I can say my thoughts. And I do want to say all the thoughts of all the pastors that I've seen over my 29 plus years here. And I am so grateful for all the legacies that that they've left behind and all of the people that have supported us and and just really made it a great place to grow up. And all the memories that I have from, from um, Bible Bear Club, BBS, uh, all the Camp Burton trips that we went on to present day where we go to Awakening Fest and survive and conditions, outdoor conditions. <laughs> I've learned a lot about camping through my time <laughs> and we've all and we've all survived so that's great <laughs> and now that's why I moved to the city <laughs> but anyways I I know a lot about survival <laughs> and um, also too just with the people that have come through Beulah I mean I can't stress enough uh, just with everything that's you know the good the bad it all comes together and at the end of the day it's a great place and I think everyone should be a part of their church and a church family and 
know, I'm, I'm happy to have met my husband and, you know, found a church where we go to in our community. And it's, uh, yeah, there's only one Beulah, <laughs> but we do love our, our new church as well. And so I will keep in with the legacy of, of pastors that have come through Beulah. To date, there's also been 18 different pastors that have served Beulah Baptist Church. Some have served a few months to a year, while others have served 8 to 10 years. However, Reverend Champion served Beulah for 30 years. Not only did he lead, uh, lead Beulah through the Great Depression, an extremely harsh time in our nation's history, but he also implemented many of the ministries that served this community after he left the pulpit. Although Reverend Champion went to be home with the Lord in 1957. Shortly after his sickness caused him to resign, the impact of his leadership of this congregation is still felt to this day. On behalf of all the families of Beulah Baptist Church, past and present, we would like to present this plaque to the family of Reverend Champion for his faithfulness to God, the call of his life to share the gospel, and for his 30 years of faithful commitment to this congregation and community. So on behalf of uh, all of the members of Beulah past and present, we are just so grateful uh, for the lifetime, 30 years, a lifetime of service and dedication of Reverend Champion to this congregation and to this community. say thank you. Uh, I want to donate a picture to Reverend Champion that I find in looking through the also a picture of the Pine Creek Mission 1913. If you can put it on the table back there, and I will find the other picture. Maybe it's floating around, but it's, uh, it's a picture of him when he was about 20 years old. And shortly thereafter, he probably came to uh, the Wilson area to live with his three daughters. And the three daughters all were members here at one time. Um, one that left was Mildred, was married to a Kaylee, and they left and started the church down on uh, uh, the road going into Clareton. The name? On Worthington, yes. But they left and started that church, but, but the seeds were coming out of this church to start that, and that became a successful church, and they've had their own history of number of uh, ministries so but it's again thank you and uh, I want to see the picture so you guys can all see what he looked like he I was told he was bald when he was 18 okay but I never saw him the pictures I've seen he's always had full head of hair but he was a good man and we we spent many years with him he grew up in a town called Allegheny 
which is like the north side. And he, uh, one of the, his dad had a relationship with H.J. Hines. And uh, he helped H.J. the years when he was going bankrupt. They had started uh, celery sauce before horseradish. And they went bankrupt. And there's paperwork in the files that shows he was trying to get his money off H.J. Hines. And H.J. wrote him a personal letter saying, here's what you need to do to get your money. And those, those letters are, are, are priceless. I mean, we, we booted them around the family for years. And it's show and tell in school, take them to school. So, so again, thank you. Take that. Uh, I'm just going to ask a few bow your heads. I'd love to uh, pray for the entire Champion family. God, we thank you so much uh, for um, just everyone who's here, but we praise you for uh, just allowing Reverend Champion to be a part of this congregation. Uh, we praise you for the lives that he was able to touch and transform. We praise you for his family members and all of his descendants, and we pray that your blessing would be upon them in such a powerful way, the same way that Reverend Champion was a blessing to us. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, let me just share a little bit, something really quickly. I can uh, remember sitting down and talking to my pastor at the time when I felt being called to, to become a pastor. And um, initially, the very first time that I felt that call, I was still in the military, had a great conversation with the pastor. was like, yeah, this is, this is amazing to be able to serve God. And then I went out into the military and uh, spent some time at different churches. And I was like, oh, no way am I ever going to become a pastor. And I had a list of reasons. So let me share this with you quickly because, you know, everyone wants to be justified in the reasons why they're telling God, I am not doing what you are calling me to do. Uh, so I told him, first of all, I was like, God, this is uh, the worst paying job on the planet is to be a pastor. And I know you hear about all the, you know, the mega pastors and whatever. That is, there are so few of those. The average church in America has maybe, you know, it's less than 100 people. Uh, that's 80% of the churches in America, less than 100. Um, and most of those are like 40 to 50 people on a given Sunday. And not that the more people attend the pastor's pay goes up, uh, but it's hard to maintain pay, and so it's the worst-paying job. Now, at the time that I was feeling like, okay, God, you're really impressing upon me. I need to, I need to, you know, stay faithful to this call, uh, and which was a few years before we came here. I sat down with my pastor at the time, and I said, look, I can't, I can't do this. I was like, I'm in a job where I'm making six figures. And his eyes went up, which made me know he was not. And I was like, and I, I just can't give up, not that I was, you know, living a high life or anything, uh, that kind of money to go preach to people. It just doesn't seem right to me. Now, I continued to preach, um, but I kept my full-time job, uh, and I was what's called a teaching pastor, and I told him, I don't, I don't want a salary, because you couldn't begin to match what I'm making, but uh, I was like, there's no way I'm ever going to go into full-time ministry. Not only was it the worst pay, but it was one of the worst respected careers. Now, be honest. 
when people leave a church, who do they blame? The pastor. Yeah. They always, unless they're in the praise team, because then they blame the sound techs. <laughs> you know? And, and when the pastors leave, uh, we usually blame you guys, Gary. You know? Uh, but I was like, there's no way, you know, not that I was the most respected person in my field or anything, uh, but at that particular time, I was working for a telecom company. You know, I was high up in the company. I was doing great. And I was like, at least people here like me. I don't want to go be a pastor where people hate me. And not only that, I was like, God, you know what? This is the worst job ever. I mean, you have to be physically and mentally and spiritually prepared to minister and meet and hang out and spend time with uh, and meet the needs of people. And I was like, God, I don't have time for that. And then when I was going through uh, a financial um, planning course, uh, I came across this passage of scripture. And this is David writing in 1 Chronicles 29. He said, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. This was just David as he typically does, just giving God all praise and all glory. And, and David, you know, if you read through his life, he made some mistakes. He messed up. But man, could he praise God. He could just give God, I mean, all the glory. But then he wrote this, and I read this next verse, and that's what made me kind of like reconsider. He said, both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And I thought, well, even if I'm making six figure now, if this is true, that's coming from God. So whether I'm working for a telecom company or whether I'm preaching God's word, he's going to provide for me. And by the way, the telecom company I was working for went bankrupt. So took it as a sign from God, okay, uh, I need to move on. And so I was like, you know what? God is going to take care and provide for my financial needs, right? And, and for many of the pastors here, I was reading through the book, and some of them, granted that was a different time, but they was like a dollar a week, $5 a week. Many of the pastors that I know are what's called bivocational, meaning they work somewhere else because the congregation they're leading, they can't afford to pay them. And I've shared with our congregation, um, and, and before, let me clarify that I'm not making six figures now. Just want to make sure you guys know that. Um, nowhere near that. Uh, as a matter of fact, when we came here uh, at the time, between my wife and I, we were making about six figures, and we took like a 80, 75 to 80% cut in pay because I felt like this is where God was calling us to be. And since we've been here, you know, I have said, hey, you know what, if God made it possible and provided, you know, more money for me from other resources, uh, I would not take a pay at all. If I were a millionaire, I'd still preach here. I'd dress a lot better. Um, and every single step of the way, God has provided for our needs. And I, I still feel like that, you know, there's not a lot of respect for pastors. Um, every pastor that has served here, as, as Rachel said, there have been good times and there have been bad times, right? There have been great pastors and there has been uh, the technical term that we came up for for pastors that aren't exactly doing it right. There have been jerks, uh, just being real. But every single one of them has started by trying to fulfill 
the calling that they have felt God put in their life to minister to this congregation and to this community. Uh, so let me say this. Just as some of us, you guys can be seated because I'm on a roll now. Sorry. Uh, some of us um, have probably had bad pastors in my life. I have at other congregations had bad pastors. But we all, if we're Christ followers, understand that God has given us his forgiveness, right? For all the bad things we've done unintentionally or intentionally, things we've messed up, things we've made mistakes. So let me first apologize to you on behalf of any of the previous pastors of this congregation that have screwed things up, made mistakes, hurt people, or have been, that technical term, or have been jerks. And let me ask you, as Christ followers, to extend forgiveness to them. You may not have to reach out and call them, but just in your heart to forgive them because they're just as human as we are. And I've told people of Crossroads many, many times, I'm human, I'm flawed, I make mistakes, I do things wrong. I would never intentionally try to hurt anyone or say something that's mean or is going to hurt someone. But I'm human and make mistakes, so it's bound to happen. And if it does, that's where that authentic community comes into place. And there have been times when people have pulled me aside and said, hey, Floyd, I think you messed this up. But I was able to say, please forgive me. And we were able to continue to do life together. But I, I still hold that this is one of the most difficult jobs ever. Um, we still have to, there's not a, a clock that ends. Uh, when, when you're pastoring, you don't get off at five. You don't stop. You know, morning, noon, or night, when someone calls and there's a need, you try as best you can to answer it, to help them, to be there for them, to minister to them, whether it's a spiritual need or whether it's, you know, physically helping someone, you know, push a car down the road, whatever it is. But one of the things I think, I think God realizes how difficult that is, so he equips the church so that we can handle that stuff. Uh, first and foremost, he gives us his Holy Spirit. And this is what uh, the Bible says. Paul writes to a group in Ephesians uh, and says that in him, meaning in Christ, you also who have heard the word of truth, the glad tidings, the gospel of your salvation, and have believed in and adhered to and relied on him. You were stamped with the seal of the long-promised Holy Spirit. Basically, the moment that you believe that Jesus died for you and your sins were forgiven and God loves you and you accept and receive that, then God puts his Holy Spirit inside of you and he does it because it's a guarantee of our inheritance, the first fruits, the pledge and foretaste, the down payment on our heritage. God says, hey, I know you guys are going to find it hard to believe that I, the, the single and only existing God and creator of the universe, love you as a human with all your flaws and your mistakes and your errors. So once you believe that, God puts his Holy Spirit in us so that we have that evidence that, yeah, God loves me, he accepts me, and he forgives me. And then God also gives us his church. Because, and I've said this before, our congregation, the greatest asset that God gives us as a Christian is his Holy Spirit. The next greatest asset that God gives us is another spirit-filled believer. There is nothing more powerful than the church when the church comes together in unity to see God's vision. And this is what Paul writes to the church in Rome. 
He says, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Just like you have internal organs, external organs, you know, hair, eyes, all these different things that make up your body, we all as believers make up the body in Christ. And when he says uh, we belong to one another, it doesn't mean that I'm yours and you're mine like property. It means we have a responsibility to each other, to come together, to see God's vision fulfilled. All of humanity, with God together for all of eternity. We have a responsibility as Christ followers to fulfill God's vision and to see the church. And then uh, he goes on and he tells the church in 1 Corinthians that just as body, the one, has many parts, just as the body, the one, has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink, even so the body is not made up of one part but many. So it doesn't matter uh, uh, where you're going to church at. It doesn't matter uh, who you're going to church with. We're all part of the body of Christ. And he says specifically that it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, slave or free, black or white, male or female, Mexican or Puerto Rican, Asian or Dominican. It doesn't matter. Once you accept Christ, we're all a part of the same family. And me personally, I think it grieves the heart of God when he sees people, not just humanity, but especially Christ followers, divided over race or over denominational things or over political things. Can you imagine as parents, how many of you have kids here? Um, okay, how many of your kids are if here with you? Okay, okay. For you guys, don't listen. For those, let's talk about your kids for a minute, all right? So, I mean, imagine your kids, if, if you had, you know, a son and a daughter, and they hated each other and bashed each other because one was a son and one was a daughter, right? Imagine if you had uh, a kid, one was, you know, a redhead and one was, you know, uh, dark hair or blonde, and they hated each other and bashed each other and refused to come to any of your family reunions because, well, he's blonde, he's redhead. I don't want anything to do with the blondes. I don't want anything to do with the redheads. It would break your heart to see your family divided over something that you created in them. So when God sees the church and the people in the church divided over the different races that he made us, how do you think that makes him feel? It breaks his heart, just like it breaks your heart. Now, we see our children do other things that break our heart, and we don't have time to talk about this this morning, so we're, we're, we're going to move on. But we're supposed to be united. And one of the greatest assets for a pastor to do his job is when the people do their job. You know, any, any pastor, and I'm not just saying this because I was, I'm a pastor. I was saying this before when I was in corporate America. Uh, when you're in corporate America, it's great because, you know, I was in a position where I was given a, a multi-big giant budget so I could go out and hire the biggest and the best. I wanted technicians, I went and hired the biggest and the best. I wanted more technicians, I went back, said, give me more money, the biggest and the best. And I told our technicians, I'm here. My sole responsibility and job is to make sure you have what you need to do your job so you can do the best job possible. And that's easy to do because I had money to do it, right? 
So I could go to, you know, Larry and say, Larry, you know what? I I'm willing to hire you. I'll give you sixty dollars to $70,000 a year. And if you keep doing well, and I did this, uh, all the bonuses that I got, I took portions of my bonuses and, and spread them out to some people. And our vice president did the same thing because I wanted them to be happy. I wanted them to stay. And I wanted them to do a good job. Easy when you got money. When you're a pastor, there's no money like that. All you can do is say, hey, Larry, I need you here. Gary, I need you here. I need you guys to help build the stage. And right now, I'm not even going to get you lunch. <laughs> I just need you guys to do it because you love the Lord. So when you're a pastor and you're trying to do the same thing that CEOs and managers and businesses do, but you're, all you're asking people to do is just, I need you to put in more time. You just did 8, 10, or 12 hours at your work. You still need to spend time at home, but I need you to put in time here. And the only way that pastors can make God's vision happen is when people step up and make God's vision happen. And the way that people step up and make God's vision happen is when God inspires them and they say, I want to use my gifts my time, my talent, my treasure to be a blessing to this congregation, to this community, and to our God. And that's what so many of the families of Beulah Baptist did. As I was looking through records after records, and there's some of the, the, the uh, what do they call, annual business meeting uh, booklets are back there. There's so many more records. All I would see is, you know, and I shared this with our congregation a few weeks ago, is that at least once a month or twice a month, they were getting together for food and fellowship, if not just with the congregation, then with other congregations to do stuff. And every time they did that, someone had to set up, someone had to clean up, someone had to, you know, take charge of activities and all that stuff. There was no hired staff doing that. It was just the people of God and the families of God coming together to celebrate God. The families of Beulah Baptist are what made this church what it is. And so that's, that's all of you guys. Now let me, let me say this, because I did when I was looking through, and there were um, a number of different uh, people, I'm going to skip that verse, who got married in Beulah. Is anyone here who got married here? Okay. Is there anyone here whose parents or whose children were married here? Okay, here's what I want you to do. You guys keep your hands raised for a minute because I want to pray for you and pray for your families. Would you just bow your heads with me for a minute? God, we thank you so much for all of the families that were married here. We thank you so much for all of the children that were raised here. We thank you so much for all of the people who volunteered the countless hours to make those ministries that provided for those children and those families happen. We pray that your hand would be upon their marriages, their descendants, their children, their grandchildren, and that it would be upon their lives and that you would give them just such a blessed amount of quality time with their family and that your word would strengthen those families and that those families would continue to work towards fulfilling your vision, all humanity, with you for all of eternity. And we thank you praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. And I'm going to ask you to stand, and uh, we're just going to jump into a time as we begin to wind down. Uh, yeah, we've gone a little long, a lot long, but we're going to begin to wind down, and uh, we're going to sing a few more songs. I'm going to share one more thought, and then we'll be done.
listen, before we sing this last song, uh, in a minute, I'm going to ask you to hold hands. Don't do it yet. I used to say do it now, but my wife tells me I ramble, so don't do it yet. We're going to close out with this, this song, and then we're going to uh, all head out to lunch. And ev everyone is welcome to join us at uh, Fortune Star Restaurant in West Mifflin near the old Quaker State. But before we do, I want to ask us to pray for one another. So before we sing this last song, well, thank you for reminding me, but I need to thank Gary and Bev Borman because they did a huge lot of work and spent a lot of time listening to me rant and rave about putting this together. So huge thank you to them as well. But let me ask you to do this. I want you to hold the hand of someone next to you. Um, if you, you know, don't know them, that's okay. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And I just want to uh, spend some time praying for all of us. So, God, we just lift up whoever's hand we're holding. Whoever's hand we're holding, and, and we just pray that you would just allow us to be a blessing to one another. There's so much negativity that people are saying about the church that they don't see the good work that these hands that we're holding now are doing and how they're ministering to people and helping people and reaching out to people. And so we pray that the hand that we're holding, that you would bless them, that you would allow them to continue to do whatever it is you've called them to do so that your vision would be fulfilled. All of humanity together with you for all of eternity. And we pray for the hand that we're holding, that whatever part you've called them to do, that they would do so to share the love of Christ and show the love of Christ to people in their circles of influence and to invite people to be recipients of your amazing love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh, we're pretty much done, but I wanted to close out with an old family hymn, Amazing Grace, that everyone would know and be able to just lift their hearts and sing together. Say